So today when um, I was looking through a couple of suttas where the, these five faculties that we started with yesterday with Gil talking about mindfulness, and I was looking at a couple suttas where this was brought up, and there was one that came to my attention because I'd seen it before. And it talked about the four ways that our practice progresses. And I'd seen these four before. You might be interested in them. The four ways that our practice progresses is with difficulty, like unpleasant, with pain, and slowly. Hmm, that sounds hard. Or sometimes it's with difficulty, with unpleasurable, and fast. Well, that at least is better, right? Um, With pleasant sensations, with ease, and slowly. With pleasantness with ease and quickly and I noticed that before and yeah we all sort of do this do this thing differently and go along in our different ways but I noticed something else the difference the Buddha goes on to say by whether he doesn't say whether it's pleasant or unpleasant that isn't affected that's due to all sorts of conditions but whether it, we move along more quickly or move along slowly, and that moving along could be, but be in relationship to our experience and learn from our experience. That's what I would take as move along. He says the difference is whether we have these five faculties available to us or not. That these five faculties allow us, whether our experience is easeful or difficult, but they allow us to take it into our, into our experience to see where the suffering is and to learn from it. Without these five faculties, we're a little more at the mercy of it. We sort of take longer to get there. So I hope that gives you a little motivation for uh, hearing and implementing and cultivating these five faculties. So this evening I'm going to talk about the faculty of energy. And this faculty has a lot, it it can be misinterpreted a lot, and it has a lot... um, There's a lot of need for balance in energy. So I want to start with a little bit of a story in a place that's familiar to me, which is on a river. I've spent a fair amount of time in my life on rivers. And it's a great analogy because the river is going downstream. You kind of don't have any choice about that. You know, life is moving along, you're on the river, you're flowing downstream, and sometimes it's just so easeful. You just float and you just watch the scenery go by, and it's lovely. Other times, I can think of one time I was rowing a raft and Oh my goodness, the rain was in these huge sheets and it just kept pounding and it was, and I don't know, on rivers, the winds always blow upstream. So it was coming in sheets and sheets and 
And it actually took two of us on a set of oars, one on each oar, pulling as hard as we could to go downstream. A lot of effort needed there. And eventually, we realized we're not really going anywhere. Let's just pull over. And we pulled over, and instead we watched the waterfalls that were being formed by the rain pouring down off the sides of these huge cliffs. Okay, we gave it a go, and then we knew when to just hang out. And then sometimes you're going down the rivers, and there's large rapids. And when you are navigating a rapid, knowing how much to pull and push in in order to get through a rapid skillfully. Somebody, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, took a picture of me going through a very um, large rapid called Lava Rapid in the Grand Canyon as I was rowing through. And I have this picture, and I love the picture. The reason I really love this picture is the water is in complete chaos. If you look at it, it's just, there's just white water and it's just this big mess. And in the middle of it, the raft is actually almost impossible to see. It's so consumed in all these waves and stuff. And the picture taker happened to catch me at a moment. I'm in the raft, I have my hands, and what's interesting to me is on my face is this look of intense concentration. I'm clearly intensely paying attention. And my arms are on the oars and they're taut. The, you know, there's, there's some attention there. But it's clear that I'm not actually doing anything in that moment. I'm not doing anything. I'm ready, it looks like I may have done something, which I had, and I would do something, which I will, but nothing's actually happening right there. And that picture for me is a great reminder of that being balanced, being ready, but not overdoing. I'll take this uh, in contrast to, I remember at one point I when I started rock climbing, somebody knew me then. And then this person who saw me as I began to learn to rock climb reappeared in my life three or four years later. And they said, oh yeah, I knew you when you were all enthusiasm and scabs up to your elbows. (laughs) I think there was a little more effort and a little less um, relaxation and skill at that point. We all know this balance when we see it. I'm not a good skier, it's not something, but boy, when I see a skier that's doing this thing, it looks completely effortless, and yet you know that they've acquired this ability to just put in the right amount of effort so that it just goes like so smooth. Think about for yourself, where in your life have you 
practiced something so that you have gone through that stage of being a beginner, of putting in a lot of effort trying to figure it out, and maybe have found this place of balance. It could be in some um, art form or craft. The Buddha used the image of uh, the lyre, of the tuning of a string, making the string not too tight, not too loose, right there where it's perfect. And it could be not just in the tuning of the string, but perhaps you play music and you know that difference between when you're trying hard and when you're attentive but not overworking it. See if you can recognize in your own life places where you have found this balance. This balance, this place, is the art of meditation. This is what we're point we're finding our way towards. Uh, some other examples, actually, that uh, I'd written down was raising children. Isn't that one where there's like too much effort and not enough effort? And if you're raising kids, you're going to go back and forth between those? How much do I organize this? How much do I try to tell them? And how much do I back off? The word energy... The word in Pali that's used is virya, and it's translated in many different ways, and they have different flavors. I want to share with you some of the translations. Energy is one. Strength, courage, persistence, having constancy or consistency, vigor, I'm going to say the words again, and I'd invite you to just sort of feel into them. And you may notice, see if you have certain responses to them. If some of the words resonate with you, and some of them you're like, that's not me. Strength. Courage. Persistence. Constancy, vigor. Unwavering. When we're working with energy, there's this aspect of too tight and too loose, that leer analogy. And it's useful sometimes to think about what our tendency is. Some of us might tend towards lots of energy, towards striving, towards pushing hard. And some of us might tend towards relaxation and ease and perhaps being pretty casual. But all of us go back and forth at different times. But if you can recognize that you have a general tendency, that might help you sort of go, oh, okay, I'm likely to be somebody who's, you know, really pushing. And if I'm going to err, 
or if I'm going to adjust, I probably need to adjust. If I'm a working hard person, I probably need to adjust towards relaxation. If I'm actually a pretty relaxed, casual person, I may need to adjust towards bringing a little bit more courage or willingness. There's a great story of uh, Ajahn Chah, who was a Thai forest monk um, living in the last century, the teacher of many teachers here in the West. And he would give people instructions, you know, go do this, do that. And one day somebody came to him and they said, I don't get it. You say, go left, go left. Or, you know, you're telling somebody like, relax, relax, you know, just kick back. And somebody else, you're saying, you should go sit, you know, for the next 24 hours nonstop. You know, what's the deal? And you can hear it in our instructions. Sometimes it's like, yeah, go. And other times you hear, oh, relax, you know, settle back. And it's like, what's going on here? And Ajahn Chah said, well, it's like I can see this path down the middle. And some people are falling off the left side into the ditch. And some people are falling off the right side. And so I say, go left, go left. And others I say, go right, go right. But it's in response to what's arising in that moment, where their practice is, what their meditation is like. So this is the adjusting that we're finding in our own practice. And as we refine it, we find it almost moment to moment. A little go left, a little go right. But the way we find it is by falling off the side into the ditch. We have to um, find out what too much effort feels like. You know, you, you're trying, you're trying, you're putting in all this thing. And then you discover at about two o'clock in the afternoon that you're totally have exhausted yourself. Your mind has just run, you just run into a thing. You're all tense through your body. Mm, good learning opportunity. I have been trying really hard and maybe a little relaxation. Well, if on day three, you're still napping four times a day, you might need to adjust your energy input a little. So, but the first day, it might be really helpful. Try that for, try taking your naps for, and see if, see how that goes. So we, we keep playing with it. And this is, um, very important because it's not like we find the middle and we stay there. It's, you know, that's like they say driving a car is actually, you know, constant adjusting. You know, you never get to just hold the wheel in one place and stop adjusting. You just keep adjusting. And it's a good idea to keep it within the white lines, but you just keep adjusting. Fortunately, the consequences here are nothing like driving the car. So even if you go outside the white line, it's okay. Okay.
I really like, and for many aspects of practice, the story a Zen master said of, uh, my life is an endless series of mistakes. Huh. Somehow he's a Zen master, though, because he kept learning from all the mistakes. One mistake, one failure after another. It's so important to remember that, that this is a learning process, always. Sometimes our energy the, the gets hijacked by, instead of this attention to the moment and adjusting as we go along, it can get hijacked by being goal-oriented, by trying to get somewhere else. You know that feeling like, if I just do this right, I'm going to have the perfect meditation. If I just do this right, by the end of this retreat, I'll be enlightened. Okay, well, maybe at least like have accomplished something. But that hijacks our relationship with the, we're caught up in expectations. We're out there in the future. There's another uh, Zen story of a Zen master and he's there and a young man comes and says, you know, I'm interested in studying with you. You know, can I do this? And he goes, okay. And then the young man goes on to say, so how long will it take me to be, you know, a master like you? And the uh, master says, "Mm, you know, it depends, but 20 years. And the young man goes, oh my God, that's way too long. What if I really work at it? You know, if I work hard and I'm, you know, really on it. And Zen master goes, hmm. 15 years. Then he goes, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to, he says, "Mm, 10 years. I'm sorry. He started out with 10 years and then it went to 15 to 20. I'm sorry. I had the story backwards. Never mind. Okay. (laughs) Let's try it again. So he said first 10 years and then he said, oh, I'm going to try really, really hard. And the Zen master said 15 years. And then he said, but I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to do, he said, oh, 20 years. And the guy's like, wait a minute, I'm working harder and harder. And the master replies to him, if you have one eye on the goal, you have only one eye left for the present moment. So that pushing out somewhere else, we lose track of what's happening right here. So we can use the different qualities, the different energies, um, the different aspects of virya to help in different situations. So for instance, sometimes we might feel a really strong motivation, a lot of urge to practice. And you had to have that to show up here. That was a courageous effort to be here. And sometimes that'll come through. You'll like want to sit longer or walk longer or maybe stay up later. And there'll be this surge of, of, or sit with something that's difficult. And you'll go, even something like say tiredness, you might go, I'm really going to sit here with this and see what it feels like. Or you might have restlessness. And one teacher said, you know, meeting restlessness, be the first person to die of restlessness on the cushion. 
that takes some courage to stay there and stay put. But sometimes it's a different kind, a softer energy that's needed, more like just a constancy, just a perseverance, a little gentler, just showing up, just enough energy to show up for this moment, not overdoing it. In fact, allowing the energy to, um, over time, uh, the effort will cultivate more energy by just showing up. There gets to be a collecting and the mindfulness and concentration build and it carries itself forward. Just enough effort to be present. How much effort is that? Right now, just for a moment. Okay, you're listening to me talk. Now pay attention to your body sitting here. If you, if you lost track of your body. So how much effort did that take? Not much, right? Just a little bit. So to be able to apply that little bit of energy again and again, just that, and now, and now. This is important to remember because sometimes if we've put in a lot of energy, we can respond by realizing that we're over-energizing energizing, and then go to collapsing. And those aren't, there, there's another option. There's that putting in huge courageous effort and then there's putting in a simpler, constant effort. And this is important because if we collapse and drop all our effort, then we have to, it's almost like we have to build it up again. We have to start, we have to find that. Whereas if we continue with some amount, it helps cultivate and support the practice all the way through, which will support more energy. So there's this story of the Buddha going to sit before his enlightenment. And he sat down and he said, I'm going to sit here until I'm fully awake. And I I think it's like the language is if my skin falls and I wither and my skin falls off my bones, I'm going to sit here until I fully awaken. Hmm, that sounds like some pretty courageous effort. And you got to wonder, is that skillful? You know, is that skillful energy there? I want to answer or sort of look at that from the point of view of what happens when we put in this energy. What is, when we put in energy again and again, what energy put in manifests as in connection to the other qualities that we've been discussed, we have discussed in will manifests as wise effort of right effort. Energy in itself, you can hear like this courageousness or even persistence by itself 
doesn't necessarily, I mean, you could put a lot of effort in heading off in an unskillful direction. So energy has to be combined with uh, understanding about where you're going. Doesn't mean you're out there holding the goal, but what's the compass? What, 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 what is your, uh, yeah, compass, the rudder in the boat that points the energy, that channels the energy in a skillful direction. And this is right effort. And the Buddha mentioned four right efforts. And what I'd like to propose to you is that the Buddha, when he sat down and he put in, said, I'm going to do the, put in this huge energy. He was very schooled, very practiced in these four efforts, the four right efforts. And so he could take all that energy that he was ready to put forth and channel it skillfully. So the four right efforts are to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome state, unwholesome states. Let me translate that into English. Um, preventing the unwholesome mind states of aversion, of wanting, of uh, hatred of ill will from arising that we use our energy where possible if those things aren't here to keep them from happening now how do we do that one way we do that is through here on retreat we have the conditions for it through restraint and renunciation and simplicity without the shopping mall you're less likely to have desire for stuff. That simple, right? Without having the grocery store full of... Uh, if you haven't done it before, you may notice the first time you go into a grocery store after you've been on retreat, it's unbelievable. You know, it's like you don't know whether like to all this desire to arise for everything or nothing looks, you don't need anything. You know, it can oscillate back and forth. But here on retreat, by taking away all these things that we might want, or even all these things that we don't like, we're helping these states to not arise. And as I mentioned the other night, that is helping us because we're not practicing wanting. We're not practicing aversion. So the Buddha said, where you can, don't allow these to arise. And then he also mentioned the second right effort is to abandon unwholesome states that have arisen. So these unwholesome states are specifically mentioned as the hindrances. And this list is probably familiar to many of you. And we've been touching on it as we go, and we'll continue to do that. But I'll mention um, there's five hindrances. And you've probably experienced them all, so I'm just going to name what you already know. Wanting, especially wanting sensual pleasure. 
If that hasn't arisen yet, it will, you know. Have you, is there some food that you've wanted, some warmer, cooler? The weather's unfortunately behaving really well for you, so you're not going to get to have a lot of wanting for that at the moment. Um, but all sorts of things that we can want. And that wanting, craving, cause for suffering. So this is an unwholesome state that can arise. And then aversion, it's flip side. You got something you don't want. You know, maybe the uh, yogi job you got wasn't exactly the one you wanted. Or your room. You're not sure which room you want, but you know you don't want the one you got. (laughs) Whatever it is that might, or just you don't want the next sit. You know, you got, or... You're having aversion, aversion for being on retreat and wondering why you didn't choose to go on a vacation in Baja instead. You know, we can just go back and forth with these. And these are all, as has been discussed, they pull us out of the present moment and they send us off. And they're a source of suffering. That's the problem with them. It's not, it's not that thoughts are bad or any of this, but they cause us to suffer. And then a couple other um, of the hindrances, restlessness and sleepiness. We've been talking about both of those have come up. Restlessness can be restlessness of the body, just kind of a lot of energy in the body, or restlessness in the mind, that planning, worrying, anxiousness. Or sleepiness. We've talked about it. That is so predominant at the beginning of a retreat that you, you probably have an intimate experience of that one. And then the fifth one is uh, doubt. And that can be self-doubt, doubt of the practice, doubt of teaching, of the teaching. And I'm not going to go into that one because we're going to talk about that one in Brian's going to talk about that one in a little more detail tomorrow. And then the arousing, the next effort effort is the arousing of wholesome states. And that list is the seven spiritual factors, if you've seen that before. But it overlaps with this a lot. Investigation, energy, joy, mindfulness, tranquility. Concentration, equanimity, lovely states. And then the fourth effort, and this is one, I know I mentioned this to a couple of you in, um, in our meetings today, is he, the Buddha says to maintain and perfect wholesome states that have already arisen. This is really important because sometimes we're so busy trying to get rid of something that's here and finding the problems and dealing with the pain that we don't even notice that there's this space where all of a sudden we're completely calm and easeful. Or maybe there's a moment where we just are happy 
And it's so wonderful. The Buddha, that, that incredibly wise man, said, these are really important. Pay attention. Pay attention when these arise. Cultivate them. And the way I take cultivate to mean is let it saturate into the cells in your body. Allow yourself to really feel it and stay there. Sometimes if we have that calm, we can start to like be a little uncomfortable with it. Like, well, shouldn't I be working at this harder? Don't I need to do something else? No. If that's what's here, don't worry. The challenges will come back and you'll have an opportunity to work with them when they get there. Don't go looking. You don't, this is a really important thing actually, you don't go need to go looking for any difficulty, anything to process, anything to work through. If what's here is ease or calm or simplicity, let yourself sit in that, walk in that. Let your body and heart and your mind know that. So the Buddha had some similes. I've sort of named, well, there's these unwholesome things. And he had some similes, particularly related to thoughts. But I think they apply to these other conditions as well that I wanted to share with you. Okay, so an unwholesome thought, an unwholesome condition arises. How do I work with this? And one of the simple ways he, first he he said, if possible, stay with the primary object. So that's sort of what I was saying a minute ago. Don't go off looking for problems. If a problem arises, some unwholesome state, and it can just come and drift by, you don't need to do more than that. But if something arises and it sticks around and you really recognize it as unwholesome and this isn't helpful, then you might want to um, have some sort of response to it. So one of the things he says, if something arises, see if you can replace what is there with that unwholesomeness with something more wholesome. And the analogy he uses is like a carpenter with a, that there's a rough, coarse peg in a hole and the carpenter takes a finer, perhaps a finer wood, and puts it and pounds out the coarse one and puts in a finer peg. So what would that look like? You might reflect that, you know, you might have the sort of coarse thought come in, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing it good well enough. And if you can replace that just in the moment, not getting into a whole analysis, but just simply like, I'm doing the best I can. And the best, and the best I can is good enough. Or, you know, there's something coming, a lot of uh, restlessness coming up. And you're like, I shouldn't be having restlessness. A simple replacement is restlessness is like this. This is the way it is right now. 
So that might be a simple replacement of an unwholesome thought with a wholesome one. And this is very interesting around the hindrances because the hindrances are hindrances as long as we don't recognize them and they are uh, like sideswiping us. As long as we don't recognize what's happening and we're trying to make something else happen. As soon as we turn and go, oh, this is restlessness. This is wanting. Everything shifts. Then our practice is right where it needs to be. Then we're in a place of mindfulness, of attention. So just that simple replacement of a criticism, a complaint with a, this is the way it is, can sometimes completely shift everything. So another suggestion the Buddha has is he says, reflect that the thoughts you're having are unskillful, reprehensible, and result in suffering. And then he uses the analogy, um, reflect like that these thoughts you have are like a dead snake or a dog hanging around your neck. (laughs) That's a little grisly. (laughs) But what he's pointing to is that um, that sometimes we have these thoughts that are like hanging on us, like like they're shaming us. They're cri- we're criticizing ourselves, and we, they're um, pulling us down. And if we can replace it, recognize that this does not lead where I want to go. This is not where my rudder, this does not align with my rudder. This, these thoughts, sometimes this can be helpful if you have a thought that is very judgmental or critical of someone else. And you go, hmm, that doesn't feel right. That feels like something icky. You know that icky feeling? <laughs> you know, this doesn't feel good. And... I don't think I'm going to chase that thought around. I'm not going to go there. Another thing that the Buddha suggested is simply ignore the thought. Or, and I'm going to say with sometimes with any of the, like an aversion arises. I don't like that. And the Buddha said, just like someone who doesn't want to see something turns away or shuts their eyes You can do that. An aversion arises. I don't like that. And you can go, don't need to go there. I think I'll just look at over this way. You know, that's like uh, something, there's a certain, well, I'll use an example for myself. I was an architect. And sometimes I see things, my, that particular mind of mine that sees spaces and construction and stuff like that will see something and go, what were they thinking? (laughs) And sometimes the best solution for me is to just not look at that thing, whatever it is, you know? 
I can have a choice about where I put my eyes. Another thing that can be um, another way of turning away is to not take something that arise a thought that arises, an emotion, a feeling, personally. To not identify with it. There's a you know, like sometimes you know, aversion arises and you didn't create it. You don't need to sit there and focus on it and deal with it. It's just like conditions happened, it arose, and you can let it go. Just go, yeah, there it went. It's almost like it's happening to the person in front of you or behind you. You know, sometimes, oh yeah, there's aversion. Look at it go by. Not my business. I liked it once a teacher commented she said you know from the front of the room she likes to look out and go oh yeah aversion there oh now it's over there oh sadness there oh happiness there just all happening and you don't need to dwell on it just comes and goes and then the there's two more techniques that the Buddha offered. One of them was stilling the thought formations. Ooh, that sounds handy, doesn't it? Um, And he said, just as one who is walks quickly says, why am I walking so fast? What if I walk slowly? And then why am I walking slowly? What if I stand still? And why am I standing still? What if I sit? And why am I sitting? Why don't I lie down? So this is a little bit what happens in our practice over the course of days or weeks is that we see our minds getting very agitated, lots of activity. And you may have those moments where you go, all this activity, do I really need to be this involved? Do I need to think about all this stuff right now? And then you might go, well, no. And it might settle. And then at another time, there might be just subtler versions of that. And it'll settle again. To use the example of restlessness. You might at a time have a restlessness to you, an energy. And you go, well... If I check in, they're sensations. They're just simple sensations in my body. I put it together as restlessness. But if I just pay attention, there's sensation arising here and there. Very simple. Do I need to do anything? No. Just sensation. And the last one, just for completeness, that I will mention that the Buddha talks about as he says, with his teeth clenched and his tongue pressed against the roof of his mouth, beat, he, one beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind. 
just as a strong man beats down, constrains, and beats a weaker man. <laughs> so, um, uh, I'm not sure about the language of this particular uh, instruction, but I have um, heard sometimes people say that there is a way that they've used this skillfully. Um, my mind, when I try to do this, just gets caught, just gets caught up in its twists. But I have, but sometimes you can do it in a simpler version. Simply, like a thought comes up and you just go, no, not now. I'm not going there. And there's a firmness about it. Uh-uh. And that sometimes can be skillful. But watch doing it. Um, you have to be careful with doing it because it can have in it some aversion, some violence in it, clearly. Um, so, but if you do it from a place of, you know, like a mother watching her child running to the edge of the road and about to run into the road and she says, no, it's coming from a place of complete care and love. And you can tell because a moment later, you know, that it's over. You know, but if you keep pounding on yourself, then you can start to feel that, that there's a different energy there that isn't helpful. So going back to the Buddha sitting below the tree, he had all this energy and he knew how to skillfully guide himself, how to have this skill in the effort so that the energy was channeled in a direction that was helpful. And so that becomes our refinement, to use our energy skillfully. But just in case we think that that is... Um, that we need to sit under the tree with this huge effort. I want to give you one other example from the river as we come towards the end of this. So some friends of mine were on the river, on the Grand Canyon, on the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. And they went to bed in the evening and somebody didn't tie their boat up well. And the Grand Canyon, the river there, because of the dam, goes up and down. The, the, the water level rises. And so at some point in the night, the water level rose. And the person had pulled their boat up, so it wasn't obvious. The water level came up. They get up in the morning, and the boats floated off. Nobody in it just floated off downriver. Big flurry, panic in camp, throw everything in to the remaining boats, and they take off and they go off chasing the boat. And down, not that far down below where um, they had camped, it was a very difficult rapid that people flip boats in, not uncommonly. So they go down, all this hurry, all this chasing after, and 
two out of the three boats that were chasing down flipped in this rapid. And that's a big deal when you're on the river. There's all this stuff and there's people. So they get down through the rapid and they have to get it all together and flip the boats back. And then they go down a little further and there sits the boat that floated down in the eddy, upright, no problem. <laughs> Ran the rapid without any difficulty at all. <laughs> so sometimes the, there is a kind of just riding with the current, an effortless effort, an ease of j- just that there, that you, the current, you're with, you're in the flow of it, and it will just take you. And you don't need to push hard and pull and do something. And it's so helpful to feel those places in our practice. I'm sure you've recognized it just on a simple sit. Like you, you've set up the conditions, you've shown up, you've got yourself and you started and then you just get carried. And at that point, putting in more effort, trying to figure out, and it's so funny because sometimes we're in this place where it's easeful, it's flowing, we're right there and we go, well, what should I do? You know, I'm, it's all going really well. What do I do now? Just let, let it forever carry you right through. Ride the current. So let's sit for a moment and let the words settle. 